Welcome to the Podcast Season 2, a hodgepodge of stories of meaningful and inspiring things people are doing out in the world. My name is Rachel and I'm your host. Let's begin by taking a moment of pause to honor the land upon which we live. Deep breath in, deep breath out. I live on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, and I'm incredibly grateful to be here. Welcome to the podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. In this episode, I am joined by Di Manuel, a human being for whom I have tremendous respect. Dai lives in Vancouver, BC with his wife and two daughters. We met through our Toastmasters Club, and I've had the pleasure of hearing him deliver multiple speeches, mainly on the topic of personal growth and vulnerability. Dai is a facilitator, author, speaker, fitness expert, lifestyle mentor, and performance coach. Along with his long list of talents, Dai is warm, engaged, enthusiastic, and kind. He is an advocate for vulnerability as part of the human experience. At a TEDx conference in March, Dai shared his story and quest for discovering and creating spaces for men to express openly and vulnerably about what is most real and present for them. Welcome, Dai. Hello, Rachel. Excited to be here. This is fantastic. And thanks for the kind introduction. Wow. I was like, whoa, that was, that was, you reminded me a lot of things I've done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like the more that I, I was looking through your website and preparing for this, this conversation, the more I found, and there were things about you. I, I didn't even know about, so I'm really excited to learn more about you in this conversation, but I, (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd love for you to introduce yourself and share a little bit about what you love to do. Well, you know, I, I made some decisions a long time ago that I was going to start to fill my life with things that I like to do versus things I felt I had to do. And, uh, you know, so I, I, my wife and I, like, especially with our kids, we're very, we, we try to remind ourselves that life is full by design and by choice. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we try to refrain like one of our words that we don't like to use in our household is busy. <laughs> so I know a lot of people will look from the outside looking in those that don't know me and they'll think, wow, that is really busy. But, you know, I'm actually life is full and it's mm-hmm. full of things that I've decided to fill it with. And, and that was a very intentional decision and, and focus that uh, my family and I made, I'd say, about six, six and a half years ago. And, and it's been a, a world of change for us ever since. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into that today. But, you know, a little background on me. I'm a father of two teenage girls. They're 16 and 18. And uh, they are definitely the shining stars in my life and uh, a big reason why I do a lot of the things that I do. Uh, and, you know, my beautiful partner, I, I've been dating Christy, my wife now for 21 years. And yes, I, I do like to say dating my wife. And uh, again, a lot of intention around that as well, which I'm sure we'll also dive into. And, uh, you know, I come from business background in the health and wellness industries, uh, predominantly retail for 17 years, building a, a company, exiting out of that about six years ago to pursue other passions of mine, uh, which include public speaking and coaching and mentoring people in, in life. 
and in business. And uh, so that that keeps me busy. Uh, and when I say busy, it, you know, it keeps my days definitely full, um, the days that I work. But I, I love having conversations and connecting with people and helping them get out of their own way. You know, because mm -hmm. I, I know it's the biggest limiting factor for most of us, at least myself. I, I know in my own life, the biggest challenges I've ever run up against are the ones that I've created for myself. You know, and uh, when you start to really realize that and see those patterns in your own life, my goodness, you start to give your own head a shake and be like, what am I thinking? You know, there, <laughs> there's definitely some room to change and to grow and to evolve. And, uh, you know, just being an active participant in that journey. And that's that's what I try to do every day, you know, show up and lots of passions, lots of projects always on the go. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's just all about trying to live the best life I possibly can and be a great role model to anybody I connect with, both online and offline. Hmm, amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah, I love that your family made a collective intentional decision to do things differently. That sounds mm. really progressive. So <laughs> good on you for that. Thank and you. You're, you're welcome. And I, I can relate. I, I noticed at some point in my life that people often say, you'll ask them how they're doing and they'll say busy. And, right. and so I'm, you know, I'm a curious person by nature. And so, you know, I'm always asking like, well, well what does busy mean to you? Well, you know, I'm just busy. And, and what I found is that, you know, so many people don't realize that they have that choice to do things differently. So thank goodness for people like you in the world who can help them realize that they actually do have some choice in these matters. Mm. Very much so. Well, I think we always have choices, but sometimes we get to those places in life where we feel like we don't have a choice anymore. Mm -hmm. And when, when we get to that place, it's oh, debilitating, right? Like it, it literally causes a lot of us just to freeze or, or in my case, you know, procrastinate, <laughs> put off doing things that might involve other change out of fear of not having clarity, maybe not feeling confident in the, the next steps, and, and maybe just not knowing what action I should take next. And you know, it, it's very, it's a, it's a frustrating place to be, isn't it? it you know, change is always possible. Yeah. I, I think more than anything, I like to speak to the, the idea of change and realize that we can be either active participants in change in our life, or we can see ourselves as victims of change. Mm -hmm. but, but it's all about the label that we associate or attach to ourselves and our own predicament, uh, you know, our own human experience, if you will. And and I recognize, you know, perspectives are challenged all the time. I, I know for myself, I, I've found myself in, in some pretty dark places in my lifetime. And I'm just grateful that there was power of community, uh, great people around me that were able to, to speak into me, some positive ideas, some positive concepts, also to be very encouraging and empathetic, and which created a safe space for me to, to be vulnerable and actually say, you know what, I do need some help. And then to be able to get the help and receive the help, right? Like, and and that was a big life lesson for me because I, that wasn't easy for me, you know, mm -hmm. asking for help and actually not even asking for help, but actually receiving it and taking it and being okay with that, you know? Um, so I, I'm sure we'll have some stories that come out from that, but you know, that's just sort of a couple of thoughts on this idea of change. Yeah, absolutely. And there's um, one of the, um, one of the philosophers I really like said once um, that, you know, it's, we're not meant to do this on our own. In mm. fact, it's impossible to <laughs> do it on our own. And, and I think that's true. And I think that somehow along the way, we, we sort of started to believe um, as a society that we're meant to just like be strong and tough mm. it out and 
not let people into our inner experiences and just how how much we end up preventing ourselves from stepping into our brilliance by doing that because we we limit ourselves by not that support in so on that note I would love for you to share a little bit about what is what is a lifestyle mentor what is a performance coach and and what does that process look like well I I know that those can be fairly catch-all terms you know I I know a lot of people hear the term coach today because it's it's a very widely used term right and and you know I sort of have a a, I'll be honest a love-hate relationship with the term because Mm -hmm. with what comes with the term is a, a lot of preconceived notions based on people's experience with the idea of coaching and not everyone's had a positive experience with it in their life, you know, mm-hmm. and they might remember the the militant coach they had in high school, right. <laughs> or, or they might remember there was teachers that were very stern and maybe not as empathetic and, and try to help us with our, you know, learning certain subject matter. And, and yet the, the process of learning and growing wasn't enjoyable. And, and so, based on past experiences, we have preconceived attachments <laughs> to, to what we believe certain things are. And, and so I, I, I like to let people know, you know, a, a coach is somebody that can be trained in a specific modality, if you will, a way of helping people gain the clarity and confidence they need to take immediate action. Now, mm. that is very different depending on the coach and what their specialization is. And, and for myself, you know, 17, well, almost 20 years of being in business for myself now. And I, I have a lot of knowledge when it comes to building businesses, both offline and online. And, and so I, I coach and I mentor more so people because I, I tend to only work with people that I can support them through change and growth, evolution, if you will, but they're following a path that's similar to a path that I myself have already followed. Mm-hmm. So it becomes more of a mentorship relationship than a coaching relationship. Because, you know, as, as coaches, sometimes coaches are great in the theory, in the methodology of helping people get clarity and confidence and taking action. But but they themselves may not have experience with the particular issues or the things that people are trying to change specifically. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I just recognized for myself, I, I wanted to be very specific with who I helped, you know, and, and, and my goal in life is just to help people get out of their own way and realize that life can be as amazing and as special as you want it to be. But it is up to you to decide and to define what that can look like. And then just get to work in creating it, <laughs> you know? And, 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 and so there's lots of different ways, fitness, nutrition, mindset. Uh, I'm a neuro change practitioner as well. And, and that's just a, a fancy term for, I, I love the science of change, the science mm-hmm. uh, of neuroplasticity, you know, uh, just also looking at neurolinguistics, but looking at belief systems, how they're formed and how they can change or evolve. And, and so with that very specific training, I, I have some very, very clear systems and ways to help people move past some of these blocks that are holding them back. And uh, so those are just a few of the things, but that's why there's such a difference between coaching and mentorship. I tend to only work with people in areas that I myself have a lot of experience. And, uh, and that's by choice. And it's just because I get a lot more enjoyment from it. Plus my clients get way better results because I already know the, the, the obstacles they're going to run up against. I do. I, cause I, trust me, I've probably run up against them many times. Maybe I'm still running up against them, but I, I can definitely support them through those things. And, uh, yeah, so that's just a little bit around the language of mentorship versus coaching, but, uh, but teach their own, right. At the end of the day, are you getting the support you're looking for? And, and it, are you creating the results that you want? Because if you are, Whew, hats off to you. You're, you're well on the way to, to living into the changes and creating that life that you want. 
Yeah. Oh, that was a really, really great and clear uh, delineation between mentorship and coaching. Cause I, I work as a coach mm-hmm. and I have coaches and I have a mentor because mm. I'm a new entrepreneur. So right. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you there. Most of us are trying to figure it out every day, you know, and that's all yeah. good. That's all good. We're just yeah. showing up and ready to, to, to try to make an impact. Right. <laughs> exactly. And you know, that being said, there's actually a lot that I do know. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just want to say this for the sake of our, our listeners and, you know, for whoever this might land with that, you know, don't underestimate your knowledge and your skills mm-hmm. and your abilities, because we've, we really absorb a lot of information from our experiences that mm-hmm. sometimes we just store it away for a future date and time. <laughs> Or it gets filed away and we forget that we have a key to unlock that drawer, you know, and uh, <laughs> we've misplaced that key. And sometimes we just need someone to help us find the key to get back to those things that we've experienced and to, you know, to bring them to the forward to, to, to right now so we yeah. can actually apply it as wisdom, not just base knowledge, you know. And I think that's also that difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge in action, right? Yeah. It's actually the implementation of the knowledge that we have. And, and uh, yeah, there might be a little bit of trial and error there too. And uh, I, I remember once hearing someone um, describing the difference between, well, basically they, they would often ask, they would like say, Hey, do you know what a tomato is? And I'd be like, okay, why? Well, yeah. Tomatoes are fruit. And he's like, well, good. I'm glad you're paying attention in grade school. Cause you know, a lot of people will say it's a vegetable, but no, it's a fruit. Tomatoes mm-hmm. a fruit. Now, now here's the thing. The difference between knowledge and wisdom as it relates to tomatoes is Putting tomatoes in a fruit salad, not a great idea, <laughs> you know? <laughs> now, now, you know, if you go by ba- base knowledge, fruit salad, well, you put fruit in there. Well, that would kind of correlate that tomatoes are fruit, so maybe I should put that in there. Well, you do it one time, you now realize that putting tomato in a regular fruit salad, it really just doesn't work. It doesn't mix well. It, it's it's not going to make it a very good tomato, uh, uh, fruit salad. So, so that application and that learning becomes wisdom. Right. So yeah. it's, it's sort of this idea. And, uh, you know, it, it, like I always say, teach their own. And I think, Rachel, you just touched on it very well when, when you were implying that, you know, we, we have the intuition, we have the, the self-knowledge in us. It's just sometimes it's buried. Sometimes we've got a lot of stuff that's blocking our view or our perspective to be able to take a step back or, or a 10 foot view and be able to honestly just look at our life and what's going on and some of the patterns. And, yeah, it takes energy. Mm-hmm. It takes focus, takes time. And, and you know what? It isn't an easy process a lot of the time. It just, mm-hmm. it challenges us because it involves a lot of big change. And it might be changed to things that are so hardwired in us. You know, I think about myself as a teenager. I was morbidly obese. You know, I was very, very overweight as a teen from the age of about nine to almost 15. But five years of, of that developmental years of my life was spent in a very depressed state. Very unhealthy. My lifestyle matched the way I was showing up, okay? Like, I was eating a lot of foods that were very poor in nutrition, yet high in calories. I wasn't moving my body. I watched a lot of screens between video games and movies and TV. And and so you can imagine, after a five-year period of doing that and self-isolating, gosh, I just got bigger and bigger. And it got to a point where my habits were so well ingrained, like, I just couldn't even imagine life changing. Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, ideas of maybe this isn't a life worth living anymore. You know, like I can't see it getting any better than it is right now. And I can only see it getting worse if I keep doing what I'm doing. So 
what do I do? Like, and, and so to get to that place and then just say, you know what? I got to make a change. Cause the only way I was going to make a change was if I actually did it. And, but it was hard. It took 18 mm-hmm. months of me reminding myself that if I move my body a little bit, if I change how I nourish myself, I change who I associate with, change what messaging I put into my mind, how I'm being educated, self-educated specifically, you know, what kind of books am I reading? What kind of movies am I watching? What kind of conversations am I engaging in? I really became very, very in tune to just the things I was doing every day. And I started to shift those a little bit. And it felt hard. It felt weird, foreign, mm-hmm. you know, because I was trying new things and I didn't know if it was going to work or if it wasn't. And, uh, you know, I just trusted a process. I wasn't, yeah. I let go of the idea of trying to be perfect in everything I was doing, but I wanted progression. I wanted to see some results start to happen. And the coolest thing is, and this is what I say to everybody that wants to do a little bit of changing. <laughs> and you notice I said little bit, because it always starts with a little bit. You got to build the self-belief, right? You got to feel like you're winning, <laughs> you know, because when you start to feel like you're winning and things are working, it's a lot easier to double down our efforts. And it often doesn't feel like it takes as much energy to put more into it because we know it's working and the changes are happening. And uh, so, so that's what I like to remind people of, you know, it's, it's don't worry about the timeline. Just yes. remember that the journey is, is right now. And it's what can you do today that moves you one step closer? To, to where it is that you, that vision is taking you and, uh, and just trust in ourselves, right? Like, so, so back to you, you know, the intuition piece. Yes, you're right. It, it's already in most of us, but sometimes yeah. we don't have the belief in ourselves. So in that period of time, find people that believe in us, even when our self-belief may be lacking, because trust me, there's people in our circles, our family members, good friends, coworkers, they, they support us and they will support us if we allow them to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's the big piece, right? Is that allowing of help I, that for me, that's always been one of my biggest struggles in life is letting people help me. I used to believe that that showed vulnerability in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I would have to admit that I didn't have it figured out, that I couldn't do it on my own, you know? And, uh, it was just amazing how that limited me in so many times in my life. And, uh, so it's just, again, one, one example, but, um, um, yeah, I, I'm curious. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I'm a big fan of yours. So people who talk about, I mean, vulnerability is something, it's probably one of the words I use every day in my Mm. own practice with clients, Mm. just because it, it is required in order for us to dig deep. And that's often what we do in our sessions. So um, we, I think we, we grew up with this mistaken belief that vulnerability is weakness and it's actually the opposite. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to step into vulnerability. And I'd love, love for you to speak a little bit about that. And maybe um, if you want to mention a little bit about your TEDx talk as well, because it's, it's brilliant. And, I'll definitely yeah. be putting the link for our, our <laughs> listeners to be able to access that because I've I've watched it many times actually it's it's brilliant. Well, thank you. You know, Arsha, I appreciate that, and it's it was definitely a labor of love. It was a oh gosh, I don't even know how long the journey lasted. It must have been about a seven month, almost eight month process to go from the invitation to submit a proposal and to to put my. Uh, as they say, my, my, my hat in the ring for consideration to be one of the 12 speakers for that event. And uh, to the time I took, you know, stepped up on that red dot on the stage, yeah, it was like seven or eight months. Like it was a very lengthy process. And, and I learned a lot during that process. But I, I also realized that 
you know, the act itself was, was very much challenging me in my position on vulnerability. And what I mean by that, mm -hmm. I'm like, what more vulnerable way than going on a very public stage and airing some of my, my past, you know, uh, specifically some things that uh, I, I used to carry a lot of shame around, mm -hmm. um, specifically around my drinking and, and the way I was showing up, not only as, as a business partner, but as a life partner. For, for my wife, but also as a father to my kids. And, and more importantly, how I was showing up for myself. And uh, to give a little bit of backstory, you know, I was very much someone that was driven by ego in his 20s and 30s, um, more so my early 30s. And based on chasing ego, you know, I was, I was chasing this, this idea of, of success. But, but the thing is, a word like success, it's very subjective, yeah. you know, but, but we get a lot of influence from outside sources on ideas of success. And, and for me, I was definitely taken in by a lot of those outside sources, you know? So I was chasing things that I believed represented success, such as vehicles, home, toys, you know, uh, my kids having anything they wanted, you know, just like, just, just chasing things. Okay. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and I, I realized the more things I chased, the more things I wanted to do, the more things that I collected, the more unhappy I was becoming, the more disconnected I was from my own life and the people in my life. And so what I did, though, to deal with some of that stress, that depression, that anxiety that came from this sort of rat race I found myself in. And, and it's only because I referred to it as a rat race that it was a rat race. Like, please recognize I, I have no qualms with my career path that I was on, but it was really how I was choosing to show up on that career path, you know, and how I was just seeing my own life and really just disrespecting anybody and, and my, my way of of dealing with that and coping with those negative feelings was gosh if i have a few drinks in the moment i feel better and and you know it all of a sudden became this thing it's like well i work really hard i support my family you know like i do all these things that are right so i deserve this little break at the end of every day mm -hmm. and it literally became every day and sometimes a couple times a day to the point where even sometimes I go out on the weekends, you know, I'd be like, tell my wife, oh, I'm just going to go out with the guys Friday after work and I come home Saturday morning. Like just, just stuff that was so outside of my normal, like of who I believed I was, who I was trying to be and who I believed I was from a value standpoint. I was so out of alignment. It just created more depression, more stress, more anxiety, more unhappiness. And so it was a bit of a downward spiral. You know, and, and I go into a bit of detail in the TEDx talks. So I won't give you the whole background, but it basically got to a point where my wife sat me down one day after I'd been out with an all night bender, extremely hungover, you know, and she sat me down. My kids were, you know, both under the ages of, of eight at the time. They're actually closer to four and six. And, you know, so they're both very, very young at this time. And, and I remember my wife sitting me down at the table. The kids are off in the living room watching TV. And then we got into this conversation and I could tell that on her look of her face, she was at her wits end. It was like, I'm done. This is, this is not working. I, I, I could tell that her patience in me, it was gone. Like I always, and you know, for anybody that has that significant partner in their life or have had that partner in your life, you, you know, there's something special about that life partner because they often can see in us the potential that we can't necessarily see in ourselves. Mm -hmm. And they're able to bring that out in us, help us, you know, support us in being the best versions of ourselves to live our, our best lives, you know, and uh, if, if, again, if we allow them to, and my wife was always trying to do that, but I was so resistant. 
to receiving help, to admit that I needed help. So it's this lack of vulnerability in my life. Because also when I look at my role models in my late teen years, my 20s, even in my early 30s, the people I was hanging around, the people I was spending all the time with, the people that were feeding into my mindset, my perspective in life, they didn't practice vulnerability, at least not in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. and, and so I didn't have any other role models to show me how to do that. Like, so for me, it was always just a negative concept. Vulnerability, that's a bad thing. Uh-oh, I'll be hurt. I'll be taken advantage of. People will judge me. You know, like just... So it was like, no, you don't do that. Like the old adage, right? Well, boys don't cry, right? Like mm -hmm. it, it's amazing some of these stereotypes that were true for me at the time. And, and but I wasn't doing anything to change that. And, and so here I was this fateful morning, my, my, and it was actually a little bit afternoon because I had slept the whole morning away. But, you know, by the time I got up and we sat down at this table, I could tell that, you know, she was done. And I just remember feeling this, this, this pain that, that this sensation and it was like everywhere mental emotional spiritual just this this agony right that that oh my gosh there's no going back from this if i don't make some changes the, the life as i know it everything that i've been working towards that i believed was what i wanted for my life was going to go away and all because of me and she asked me a question rachel one question are you being the type of man you'd want your daughters to marry Mm -hmm. And that question, just, I don't know what it was, you know, cause she'd asked me, she challenged me. She'd invited me to shift my perspective at times with certain questions. And I know she'd asked me that kind of a question before, but for some reason I wasn't ready to hear it, you know? And, and that morning I heard it loud and clear. And I had to draw this line in the sand, you know, and say, geez, I got to make some big changes if I want to be able to retain what I have, because I know if I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be around much longer. That, that's how much of a decision this was, you know, this, this pinnacle, this turning point in my life. And, uh, and so I made a commitment to go one year without drinking. Just one year. I thought, I see, I thought alcohol was a challenge. I thought that was the problem. I thought, oh, I'll get rid of alcohol. Everything will be bad, fine. But I realized after removing the alcohol, well, after about three weeks, I had a lot more work to do. I needed mm -hmm. a lot more. And, and it wasn't alcohol. Alcohol was just an escape. It was just a a way to, to relax. It was a conditioned response, right? Like to my stress It's like, once people understand how habits are formed, you know, we have a stimulus, it triggers us to do something. And by doing that thing, it provides an emotional release or, or a satisfaction. It's like that dopamine hit, right? That serotonin hit, that's a little bit of a brain chemical start to get triggered. And we get this little uplift in our emotional state. And that's very addictive, right? It's just like eating sugar. We eat sugar, that same part of the brain gets triggered. And we're like, ooh, I feel better in the moment. But then, you know, you come down from that <laughs> and you don't feel so good. And what do you want to do? You want more sugar. And, and so, you know, once you start to recognize the negative patterns in the life, you just have to change your response to those stimulus, whether they're positive or negative. And so for myself, it was like, okay, I'm stressed. I'm anxious. Oh my gosh, I don't have alcohol anymore. What am I going to do? And, and, and I found myself sort of in this state where I was just really lost. And uh, so, you know what I did? I found help. I said, I can't do this on my own. I found a psychologist, started working with him for a few months. I found a relationships counselor, worked with her for a few months. My wife and I found a, a, a couples counselor, you know, to help us with our communication. I just, I really just subjected myself to, to working on me, you know, <laughs> and uh, that one year, as long as it felt, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, it, it set me up for the, what I've experienced over the last 11.
and, and what I plan to continue to do with the rest of my life, you know, it, it just, it shifted everything. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's why I like to let people know, you know, like, I, I know we get to these places where we feel lost. We, we feel like we don't have options, but believe me, there's always an option to change. And, and it all starts with just one simple act, you know, mm -hmm. just doing something a little bit differently or asking somebody for some support to help with the change. Like that's all it takes. And, you know, and, and, just trust that if you do that, some good things are going to happen. And, and so I, I touch on this and I touch on all mobility in the talk and, and sort of the impact it's made in my life, but also how now I, I work with other men. You know, we create groups around the world called Mentorship Mondays. And, and we're in four different time zones right now, four different groups meet every Monday. And it's just groups of guys coming together to support each other openly, honestly, and without judgment. Mm -hmm. and, and to practice exercising this muscle of vulnerability, which most of us are very deconditioned, you know, yeah. so, so it's yeah. just, again, create a safe space to practice. And uh, yeah, so that's a, a long and roundabout way of, of sort of giving you the backstory and context to this idea of vulnerability and how it showed up for me. But I invite those that are listening and even yourself, Rachel, you know, it's like, how does vulnerability show up in your life? And what's your relationship to the concept of vulnerability? Because mm -hmm. that's a good place to start, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And, you know, that is the that that one question that you reference from mm. from the TEDx talk. When you shared that just now, my arm hair stood up. <laughs> when I watched the TED talk, my arm hair stand up. Yeah, that is that is really potent the way that you share that like it's not just um, like you were talking a little bit about intuition earlier. And I mm. really think that you know, we, we're also deconditioned to pay attention to our body-based wisdom. And those arm hairs standing up on my arm signal to me that, you know, pay attention. There's something in this for you to hear. Yes. Or I'm, my body is having a visceral response to these words because mm. they matter or because they mm. mean something, at least to me. I know they mean something to you and, and to so many others. And, you know, earlier this year, I realized that I could I could up my vulnerability game because I'm I've often been that person in sort of more corporate settings that overshares that says the things that you know maybe are inappropriate to say in a workspace or in a meeting because it's the it's true and it's vulnerable so I have a lot of experience um, allowing myself to be vulnerable to the point mm -hmm. where it was like, oh, I, I appear vulnerable, but I can go deeper. And I think that that is one of the, the beautiful side benefits of, of practicing vulnerability is that there, there's more, yes. you know, once, once you get it, once you get a handle on, okay, well, this might feel like a vulnerable share to somebody else, but I'm just scratching the surface here because I know there's more underneath that. Yes. Yes, you know, and, and, you know, everything you just said is so spot on, you know, just that that observation around this, this concept. And as you mentioned, Brene Brown, you know, she's, she's just got some phenomenal work in, in this space, especially as it relates to the corporate cultures. Mm -hmm. and, and I find that in corporate, this idea of vulnerability is usually uh, really downplayed, right? Like it's, it's not a piece that's focused on and, and which creates toxic work environments, you know, where people have this uh, passive aggressive way of dealing with each other, dealing with conflict, even, you know, like mm -hmm. conflict management, conflict resolution. Trust me, if you start to embrace vulnerability in a positive 
and constructive way, right? So this is going to challenge people's relationship to the term vulnerability to, to sort of reframe it in a healthy way. But once you embrace it and you start to practice it, you'll start to find that some of these things that were really challenging, hard to work through, all of a sudden they start to become easier. Now, please recognize the first time, and I'll probably say the first few times, maybe maybe the first dozen times you do this, it's going to feel awkward. It does. It feels weird. It feels awkward. It feels like, oh my gosh, am I, you know, am I sharing too much? Am I going to say something that's going to get used against me? So there's a big trust, big question mark over our head. Can I trust this person? Can mm -hmm. I trust this group? Can I trust this organization with what I'm about to share? And it's not... You know, as Brene Brown says, we're not sharing just for the sake of shock and awe. We're not looking to, to turn heads with what we're sharing to say, hey, look at me. Look what I've done. That's not the point. The point of being vulnerable is to create connection, mm -hmm. understanding, and a place to work from with people when they have two different points of view at times, you know, because mm -hmm. you got to find the common ground. At the mm -hmm. end of the day, we're all human beings just doing the best that we can with what we got, you know? Mm -hmm. And and if we start being vulnerable, and this is the thing I've learned with, you know, working with men for over three years now in, in these men's groups, um, we are so much more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. but we, we don't know that until we start opening up our mouths, you know? And, so true. <laughs> and it's crazy, right? And, and that's, you know, it's one of those things like we all have a, an attachment to the concept of vulnerability. And, and I just, I know I was really challenged. I came from a very negative belief system around that term and it didn't correct itself overnight. But I knew that by, by starting to change to a more healthier relationship with that concept, I just, I knew it was going to get better. You know, I just, I, I knew it like just intuition was telling me, you know, like I could tell in my gut because when I was vulnerable, especially with my wife that morning at that table, considering how we were going to structure our life for the kids to live with her and be shared with me, like literally that's where we were in our conversation, you know, and, but to me opening up and sharing all the things that I was working through and all the challenges I thought were present in my life and why I was doing what I did and, you know, just really opening up and being very honest and transparent with her, which was truthfully the first time in my entire relationship at that point. And at that point we had been together for about 10 years, already had two kids together, mm -hmm. you know, building a life together, but I had never been that vulnerable with her yet. Hmm. And, and, but as soon as I was instantly, I felt a relief. I felt a relief, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was amazing to see this person come back to me and just I'm like, okay, thank you. I understand. And she wasn't there to give me advice. She wasn't there to coach me. She wasn't there to correct anything I said. She was just there to give me space to just share. And I think that's the piece about vulnerability we have to recognize. Because I think in all of us, especially men, okay, and I'm not trying to stereotype here, but as men, we like to fix things. It makes us feel useful, okay? <laughs> like it really does. And so sometimes when we have people come to us with challenges, I know I used to do this. I'd be like, oh, why don't you try doing this? Why don't you do this? You know, and sometimes people are just coming to just share that they're struggling to know that there's somebody else there that can be like, I understand you. It's going to be okay. How can I help you? How can I support you with this? You know, a lot of times that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. And the last thing we want is someone saying, Hey, you should have, would have, maybe you could have, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't need more, more of that. I, I, I just need the support, the connection, the, the, the empathetic ear. And, mm -hmm. and shoulder to potentially cry on. Thank you, you know, to, to share this very human experience, this human moment of connection and understanding. So I can start the healing as well, start to live into some of those changes. So, yeah, that, I know there's lots to unpack there, but, but you know, that's sort of 
just some general ideas on vulnerability because I, I know you're gonna have some people that are listening to this and and they may be like me they might be very challenged by that idea about being vulnerable they might be trying to be vulnerable with that significant person in their life to a business partner to a child and and they're really struggling and it feels awkward right and, and that's okay it's okay you know don't worry you're not alone and the fact that you're even trying is huge mm-hmm. it in itself is an act of vulnerability so you're already doing it, you know, just by trying to do it, you're already practicing vulnerability. And there's, there's no right or wrong way, to be honest. There is no right or wrong way. Because if you speak from the heart, you speak from open and honest and, and transparent communication, listen, uh, you will be heard. You will be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a question for you. Um, I came across the term vulnerability hangover earlier <laughs> this year. And yeah. And this is where I actually started to feel a little shame in myself mm. um, because I've been, I, I used to work in um, learning and development and training. Mm. And um, I've been in situations where I was in more of a leadership position, asking team members to be vulnerable mm. and not realizing, you know, and this was due to the lack of experience at the time, mm-hmm. um, but not realizing the importance of creating a safe container for sharing and reminding yeah. people to recognize their own boundaries mm-hmm. and not, not to share something if they're not ready to share it. So, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe play the edge a little and, yeah. and dip your toe into, into that space and, and try it out. But yes. um, what, if, what are your thoughts on pushing people to be more vulnerable than, than they're ready to be? Well, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Like, you know, pushing people to be vulnerable, I don't think it is necessarily healthy. I, I, I believe that there is, better ways. I'm not saying that's a wrong way, but I, I think there's other ways that can be a bit more constructive and a bit more inviting to people, mm-hmm. especially people that are, are, are really feeling challenged by this idea of being a bit more vulnerable. Like you have to understand too, like growing up, my, my mom, very vulnerable. Like she's someone that's like, wears her heart on her sleeve. She'll tell you what she's thinking. She'll tell you how she's feeling like just amazing. Right. But then on the flip side was my dad and he was very stoic, non-emotive, Right. Like, I mean, my dad getting excited, his eyebrows might raise, you know, a, a couple millimeters like that. That was like, oh, yeah. you know, it was just like, you know, and, and it was, but he was awesome. One of the most kind people I've ever known in my life and, and very loving and caring in his own way. But, but this idea of being vulnerable wasn't taught to him as a child, you know, knowing my grandparents and how they were and just, you know, so it is generational. Like this stuff's passed on. So I always like people to understand, you know, it's not your fault. There's, there's nobody to blame here. Mm-mm. It's just like, if you've never learned a skill, why beat yourself up about not having the skill? Like, but recognize it is a skill. And like any skill, you just got to start doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was very important what you said, Rachel, was this idea of creating a container or a safe space. And, and that, that's sort of what we did with the men's group, right? Like I knew I wanted to practice more vulnerability, but I also knew that I wanted to be vulnerable with men. Mm-hmm. Like me as another man, like every man I meet, I always thought of them as competition, you know, like, cause ultimately that's oh. kind of what they were, you know, especially yeah. in the professional way. So it was always like, you know, who can puff their chest a little bit higher, who can accomplish a bit more, who's got the cooler stuff, the cooler life. Like, my goodness, like, as I was telling you, living in my ego, right? Like mm-hmm. just putting value in a lot of things that honestly, they truly didn't matter to me at the time, but I thought they did. 
<laughs> you know, so and, yeah. and it's like, you know, and, and, and that's pretty much was my reality at the time. And, and uh, so this idea of vulnerability, creating a safe space to practice it, very important. And, and whether it's in a corporate environment or in a, in a personal environment, uh, it, you know, it's equally important. But in the corporate space, you know, I usually recommend that organizations that are looking to introduce this idea of being more open, honest, transparency, and especially if it's a, a new concept for an organization or for its culture, it's best to bring in someone that can help facilitate the the, the ice breaking of that. Meaning, yeah. you, you know, like even I'll, I'll be frank, like if you check out Brene Brown's Dare to Lead and you go to her website, she's got all these additional tools and resources that accompany the book. There's a workbook, there's exercises. She makes reference to it in the book. And I'm like, if you're an HR rep, it's a book that you should read. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not someone to be that, you know, polarizing, meaning that I'm not here to t- invite, you know, I, I usually like to invite people, not tell them to do anything. But honestly, I think anybody that's in the HR field, if they haven't read Dare to Lead, why not? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, why not? And uh, because I think that's a great place to begin. And even just using some of Brene Brown's basic exercises, is a wonderful way to start to open up teams to the idea. And, Absolutely. Uh, but, but yes, you're right. People have to come to it on their own terms a lot of the time, but uh, the one thing, and I'll just end on this, Rachel is the most amazing thing I noticed with vulnerability, especially when I'm connecting, say with another man that is never practiced this idea of being vulnerable, especially with another man. And often what would happen is I would go first. I would share first. I would be vulnerable first. I am the one pulling down my shield and putting down the sword first. Mm-hmm. And then I share. I'm vulnerable. I, I'm, I'm putting forward the trust without even having to earn it, right? Like, or, or, or be given it. Like, I'm just assuming trust. And, and I'll share. And inevitably what will happen is as soon as the first person shares, it gives everybody else permission to share. It, it's the craziest thing, like especially around vulnerability, that the first person that go, is vulnerable usually opens up and welcomes others to the same idea because it's it's all about who goes first, right? It's like mm-hmm. that, that idea, like who's going to go first? And sometimes we're at a standstill. And I know in corporate spaces and especially in cultures, like I'm a big fan of, of you know, the leaders should start, right? The leaders mm-hmm. should be vulnerable first. The, the head of that organization should go first, you know, because everyone follows their lead anyways. Exactly. And, and, and that's why I think, you know, there's certain organizations and they suffer and they often suffer at the hands of the person that's at the helm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's for lack of personal growth, I, I find on the most part. It's not a professional growth thing. It's a personal growth thing. Yeah. And, and uh, self-education thing, you know, like, and that's just my own experience working in the performance space with, with you know, C-level executives, owners, founders, that kind of thing. Like, I just, I see this all the time, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they're uh, professionally, oh my gosh, nobody can touch them in their field. But on a personal side, oh boy, lots of room for growth, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, and I think, I think a lot of times they know that. They know that, right? Yeah. So. And of course, you know, who wants to admit that? they Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's an interesting point because I work a lot with leaders as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I've, what I've observed and what people have told me um, as, as the paradigm of leadership is shifting mm-hmm. into more of the style that Brene Brown talks about in Dare to Lead and in her other books. Um, There's a lot of leaders who, as you mentioned, are very skilled and very proficient at what they do, but they've never received training in developing people. Mm -hmm. 
including themselves. Great point. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's such an amazing time where, you know, organizations are recognizing that people really are their most valuable resources. And I'm, yeah. And I'm curious to know, do you do workshops with teams on the topic of vulnerability as well? Yeah, I do. I do them both online and offline, like in person. Um, in person, obviously, with the last two years, it's been uh, not really happening a whole heck of a lot. Well, recently, the last few months, yes, it has. But uh, up to that, you, you know, it's just been kind of crazy uh, with COVID. And all of us have had to sort of pivot to more in the online space. And, and that's been fine, too. But it, it, there's something about that in-person thing that always gets me excited, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I've sort of intimated with you, too. You know, that was sort of my, my thing with Toastmasters, you know. It's like, yeah, that was my outlet every week to go and connect with a bunch of cool people and have an experience together, you know, and, and moving it to online, it just, it didn't translate the same way, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, and it was great for the beginning, but now I'm at that point where I'm like, I just want to be in person again, you know? So yes. I, I can imagine there's a lot of people out there that are probably not in their heads right now. We're all excited about that. Right. And, uh, but yes, I, I, I facilitate workshops as well as group trainings and coaching and, and uh, all sorts of fun stuff like that. But it's it's really up to the teams and what they're looking to do, right? And uh, one of my favorite things to do, honestly, Rachel, is also doing office challenges. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, 30 to 60 day intentional time where everybody is committing to to a specific goal as it relates to health and well-being. And uh, particular with the emphasis on mental health. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with that emphasis on the mental health, it's, it's all about just for the next 60 days, it's really being committed to be intentional with our time as it relates to how we improve our mental health. And uh, But when you get an office space, a work environment where people are spending 40 plus hours a week and they're all got this front of mind idea of supporting each other, it's pretty remarkable how the culture shifts. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it's just, it's awesome because it also welcomes vulnerability without even saying we're going to be vulnerable with each other <laughs> because everyone shares, this is what I'm working for. This is my mental health goal for the next 60 days. And that's a big insight to where people are at, right? And if people are sharing that openly, it's a great way to sort of start to introduce this idea of vulnerability into a, a corporate environment where culturally it just might not be one of the the uh, stated uh, core values of the, of the organization, right? And and, uh, and I see it, it's changing, it's shifting, as you're probably mm-hmm. noticing as well with your, your corporate clients and whatnot. It's, uh, I'm finding that a lot of these cultures are shifting to be more vulnerable, or at least, uh, or at least more transparent more transparent. Yeah. I think that's probably the, 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 the more subtle way. That's how I'm seeing it show up a lot more, you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, through communications and, and really tightening up those systems for that. Yeah, it's really inspiring. And I, yeah, I just, I get so lit up when, when people are willing to shift the way they look at things yes. and the way they communicate. Um, I wanted to just touch on your book, which oh. I didn't even know about <laughs> until I went on your website. So um, another book to add to my list. Um, do you want to share a little bit about? Sure, sure. I mean, it's called The Whole Life Fitness Manifesto. I know it's a mouthful, uh, <laughs> but it's all about teaching people how to maximize 30 minutes a day. So 2% of every 24 hours. That's all 30 minutes is. It's 2% of your 24-hour day. But if you can learn how to leverage that 2% the right way, the the, the, the most optimal way, you can actually see huge shifts in your body composition, your mental health and well-being, as well as your spiritual health. 
And, and so it's this idea of 30 minutes a day to improve your body, your mind and spirit, but very, very intentional with, with the flow of how I support people in doing that. And, and just so people know, like, yes, you can buy the book. Thank you very much. If you do that, I love that. Uh, my publisher will love that. Um, but I give away the program for free, like just so everyone's aware it's on my website. You can sign up for it. You get a daily email with a workout, some mindfulness prompts, as well as uh, some very specific personal and professional development. So if you're struck stuck on how to spend those 30 minutes, uh, I give you a, a complete paint, uh, painted picture on how to do that. You know, pretty much paint by numbers. You just have to commit 2% every day to, to following it. Right. And, uh, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit on that. It was published, uh, I, I guess about six years ago, right around the time that I left my corporate position and, and started Ooh. down my own independent path. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was sort of coincided, uh, with the launch of the book. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how that's coming up. My, my six year anniversary is coming up for my, my book release. So that'd be kind of fun. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to read it. So I'll, uh, thank you. Yeah. I'll get you a copy. I'll get you a copy. I, I, I mean, we're neighbors for Pete's sake. So, uh, I, I, I got it. Next time we see each other in person, I'm, I'm going to get you a copy. So don't you worry. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. That's amazing. And then, yeah. uh, the last thing I want to touch on that I'm really curious about the moose is loose. What does this mean? And where does this come from? <laughs> Well, the, the, the moose is loose. Uh, well, moose was a nickname given to me back in 2007, 2008 uh, by a friend of mine, uh, Craig Patterson. And uh, <laughs> Patty, as we call him, I was the first CrossFit gym owner in Canada. Oh, and cool. so we knew each other from the fitness space when he opened his first facility here in Vancouver. Well, gosh, that would be 18 years ago. I, I sold him some equipment. And, uh, you know, from that point on, I, I was sort of following along, but never really embraced CrossFit. And then in 2007, 2008, I, I finally said, okay, you know what? I got to check this thing out. People are talking about it. I, I've seen some of the results people are posting. I'm like, there's got to be something to this. I, I've never tried it. I'm going to go try it, you know? And I was hooked after the first session, but they did this run test. So they, they do a base fitness line test where they give you some basic exercises or movement patterns. And they, they just get an idea of where you're starting at. So they mm -hmm. can create a, a program and a process for you to get better. But you have to always know where you're starting. And as one of the, the tests was a 400 meter, or sorry, it was it one mile? No, it was a one mile ball run. So you had to hold this 20 pound med ball and run a mile as fast as you can. <laughs> you know? oh, so, wow. and, and I'm not the runner. Okay, Rachel, I'm not a runner. <laughs> and uh, I own that title, by the way, no runner, no runner. <laughs> and okay. uh, um. I remember coming back from that run and I'm huffing, I'm puffing. I'm, I am not a light footer. Okay. Just to give people some perspective. I'm six, one, anywhere between two ten and two fifteen, depending on the time of day. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I got a lot of muscle mass. I'm a pretty big dude. And, and so there's nothing graceful about me at all. All right. <laughs> and, and so when I came back around that corner, huffing and puffing, coming and charging at Patty, he's like moose, you know, like, <laughs> and, and one, he was thinking of moose from uh, the Jughead, you know, Archie comics, but also ah. moose is in the Canadian animal that is not very graceful. Otherwise we'd be called a gazelle. Right. So, uh, yeah. uh that the name sort of stuck ever since then I've been referred to as coach moose or moose. And, um, it's just a, a nickname in the fitness and wellness communities. But, um, yeah, I, 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 it's just, yeah, one of those names. I, I love it. I, I, I have a lot of fun with it. And the amount of moose stuff that I get sent to me is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. <laughs> People tagging me. They'll see a picture of a moose. They'll see a moose. And I get tagged in it, you know? So it's, it's kind of funny to see how that, that branding is really stuck. 
Yeah, thank you for taking the time to to share that. I was just trying to figure out, okay, well, your name doesn't sound like Moose, so there's got to be a story to this. Yeah, Yeah. and that's the story. That's the Mm -hmm. story. (laughs) Uh, Uh, And I like a good rhyme, too, so I was down to it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Moose is loose. Yeah, yeah, I I remember I I had the domain name, so mooseisloose.com and .ca, but they just forward to diamondwell.com now. Yes. And, um, but, but I, I still have mooses loose around different places, but, uh, you know, I've sort of gone the way of my name these days as, as I've matured and changed my focus, it, it made more sense, but, uh, I'm still partial to the mooses loose. So <laughs> it's where it all started, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. My goodness. What an inspiring conversation. I wanted to, um, just offer another, I don't know why I'm referencing all these philosophers today, uh, but there's, there's another quote I want to share with you and yes, get your thoughts on it um, before we wrap up. And it's, um, don't live a famous life, live a good life. Mm, and I'm curious. That. Yeah, I love it too. And I'm just curious to know how it lands with you and, and you know, what, what wisdom can you bestow upon us? From that? Well, you know, Rachel, I, I, that's, I love that you're asking sort of my, my feelings on that quote, because that quote brings immediately front of mind when you brought that up was that talks about the intentionality that my family and I made, you know, even six years ago, like us as a family, we intentionally decided to live life differently. Mm-hmm. We decided that we no longer were going to chase things, but we were going to chase experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of that same concept, right? Like it's, it's like, what is your purpose in life? Like my goal is just to live a good life. Let me go one beyond that to live a great life. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the emphasis. That's where our focus is. And it's just one day at a time, you know, mm-hmm. just being very present in the moment with what we got, what's happening right now. And, and, and looking for those opportunities to connect with family, with friends, with community. And uh, so, so, for me, that's what it's all about nowadays. You know, the, the mm-hmm. idea of fame, what is fame, right? Because you think about fame or infamy, like it, it depends. It can go either way, right? Like fame can be in a really bad way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I look at the fame of the former president of the United States, right? And I'm like, well, I wish he wasn't so famous. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. and, but to each their own. And it's interesting how we have a certain relationship with, with this idea of fame. And uh, mm-hmm. so, so for me, yes, it, it's all about just engineering the best life I possibly can and looking at how I can experience that life with as many people that I love, you know, and, and, and that's really the focus, at least these days anyways. Um, but uh, thanks for that quote. I think that's a great quote. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aww, thank you for sharing your thoughts on it as well. And, you know, I just, I have so much gratitude for your time and your enthusiasm and your love in this conversation. And um, yeah, it's just been great to have you here on the podcast. So thank well, you I got to so say, much. Rachel, you're a great interviewer, a great conversationalist. Sometimes I, I feel I get off on tangents and I do, then thanks for your patience. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I just, I love what you're doing. And I love the authenticity with which you bring to, to your platform and to the content that you put out and uh, just how you show up. And uh it's just, it's, it's not an everyday thing, you know, in most people's lives. So it's, it's amazing to know that uh, those that are listening to this, you've got somebody there that you can really look to for, for wonderful role modeling and support. 
you know, oh. and, uh, and I'm, I'm just really grateful to be here today to have this conversation with you. So I, I know it's just like the tip of the iceberg and I know we have many more conversations yet to have, but uh, what a great one to start with. Absolutely. Oh, thanks again so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank okay. you. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode five, season two of the podcast. I was joined today by Di Manuel, who shared with us so much knowledge and wisdom on such important topics, such as health, fitness, family, connection, change, choice, and using vulnerability as a way to touch in and connect with our human experience. If you benefited from this episode, please share it with others. I'm your host, Rachel. Until next time.